Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Honest Conversations with Alex Cubis, brought to you by Nova Entertainment. Fresh off premiering her feature at South by Southwest, Becca Gleason and I have a little chat about her career and her latest film, Summer 03, a project she describes as 60% autobiographical and 40% fabricated. A veteran of short filmmaking and web series content, Becca goes into detail about whether challenges are increased by being on a feature film set. We discuss her next moves and her unique writing process. Does it or does it not involve Adderall? She also gives valuable advice on how filmmakers should communicate with their actors to help them deliver stronger performances, a spiel that segues nicely into how she cast her film, which includes Paul Shear from FX's The League, Joey King from The Conjuring and Netflix's The Kissing Booth, Aaron Drake from AMC's Dietland, and Andrea Savage from Episodes with Matt LeBlanc. And finally, we get to that plug moment where she tells us about Summer 03's release date. I hope you guys enjoy this honest conversation. I am sitting with... Becca Gleason. Becca Gleason. We just did the audio test before, so that's the second time that we've said that this morning. Um, Becca, I start off all my conversations with the same four questions. Mm-hmm. We've already established uh, walking to our location that you're a pretty honest person, and I gather that from your work. Um, so I feel free to be as honest as possible okay. in the moment. Uh, right now, what do you think, feel, need, and want? Okay. What do I think? I think that the air conditioning in this room feels really good. Cool. And I guess I feel that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need a new pair of sunglasses. Mm-hmm. So right before I got here, I was looking for sunglasses online. Okay. Um, and what do I want? I want a new pair of sunglasses too, I guess. Need and want. I need and need and want thing of the feel. They're both pretty much the same. Okay, all right. Usually there's a distinction, but uh, mm-hmm. we'll see and unpack from this conversation whether that... Maybe it'll change at the end. I would, well, uh, <laughs> technically, yeah, we're supposed to change on a moment-to-moment basis. Yeah. So really it's just whether... And my theory is that successful creatives such as yourself express their opinions in an unfiltered manner on a moment-to-moment basis. Mm-hmm. And I gathered from... To give context and as you guys have have understood from the bio that I said at the beginning of the episode, Becca has had a film uh, recently screened at South By. Do you want to give us the introduction? Yeah. um, It's called Summer 03, and it's a very, very loosely autobiographical story. I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's probably like 40% true and 60% fabricated. I noticed that you Mm -hmm. made those distinctions in a lot of your interviews. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I want people to, to know that, all of the really fun parts of the movie probably didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, so it's, 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 you know, to sort of summarize without giving too much away, it's, you know, the story of a 16-year-old girl. Played by Joey King. Played by Joey King, who is just a brilliant, you know, tiny fireball. I love her so much. Um, so she, yeah, she plays uh, Jamie, who... Um, just lost her grandma. That's not a spoiler. It happens in like the first five minutes of the okay. movie. And um, but before the grandmother dies on her deathbed, she sort of leaves all of these. Like, can I curse on this? Yeah. Really yeah. fucked up pieces of information. It's an, it's an Australian podcast. So <laughs> okay, great. Cursing, cursing away. Yeah. Um, perfect. So yeah, she leaves all these like really fucked up pieces of information about all of her family members, and then dies. So it's sort of about. The aftermath of her death and the family, you know, reeling from all of this newfound information about themselves. And they sort of go through this, like, collective identity crisis. And, um, 
it, you know, it takes place between the, you know, the week between her death and the funeral. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's fun. It's yeah. a fun movie. There's a clear, a clear inciting incident and then a clear <laughs> timeline. Uh, that's why I, when I, I read about it, that's, that's what I responded to. Mm -hmm. um, so in going back to my original question, the process of making it and you developing your unfiltered point of view and being honest, um, you said in an interview, I think it was at South by that on set you developed an ability or had made some realization about being a boss and not apologizing <laughs> for your opinion. Was that a light bulb moment? Did that happen on this film or have you developed that and realized it much earlier in your career? Um, you know, this wasn't the first thing that I directed, but it was definitely not, yeah. the longest. Like, it was yeah, the longest yeah. shoot. It's your feature debut, It was right? my feature debut, yeah. so there was a lot riding on it. And and I think, I think it's more so in this particular instance rather than others where everything I'd made up until then you know, people didn't have to watch it. Like, it, right. you know, I just threw it online or if I wanted films. to, they were short films. Yeah. There was like a web series that I did and it was for me. But when you're making a feature and you have, you know, producers and you have financiers and you want to do well by everyone, not just for yourself. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not just you like fucking around with a computer and like a camera and like two lights in your apartment right. anymore. Right. So right. it's just, a, it's a much bigger scale and, and that I felt that weight more on the set of summer than I had previously, not because like the weight was put upon me. I just, I, I'm a people pleaser. So I wanted, I want so badly that to pe for people to like this movie and in the process of making it, I sort of realized, you know, I, I have to treat this like I treated the shorts that I did. Mm -hmm because those turned out well and they went to festivals. So the process isn't, wasn't really any different and you didn't want to... No, I needed to, to realize like, no, I need to treat this feature like I treated my shorts, which, mm. you know, I had so much fun and, you know, I, I, I was the boss and I wasn't, you know, afraid of myself mm -hmm. on those. And, yeah. and I think... I got, I was more nervous this time around because totally. it was just a there's much more stakeholders. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. It was, there was more stakes. Yeah. Like, and then once I realized like, no, just, you know what you're doing. Like you've done this before, mm -hmm. relax, you know, that, that was my sort of realization into being like, okay, like this is, this is a moment where I need to stop caring about what everyone thinks and what I think everyone wants and just do what I've been doing yeah. that has led me to this moment um, and is the reason why I have this opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You have to go back to the truest reason and the, and the sort of the, the birth point or whatever at which yeah. you started your creative career and, keep, exactly. and, keep, and stay to that, right? Yeah. I've gathered that as a through line for creatives. It's just like, why are you an actor or why are you doing whatever? Like, because it's fun. So you go back yeah. to that, you know, it's not like some bigger Right. Thing. I, you know, I'm here because, and I'm lucky that I managed to be able to make a career out of doing the things that I find so entertaining. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, I don't, and I think when you realize, oh no, like I can support myself like I am making enough money to like eat and pay my rent doing these things that I love. You hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, the stakes are higher in that regard too, where mm. you just, your livelihood now depends on it. Yeah, yeah. Your livelihood depends on it. And you're just having the best fucking time where you're like, I get to go to set every day and make a movie and yeah. 
you know, or I get to go and write whatever I want at a coffee shop and like someone out there hopefully will pay me for this. So it's like, (laughs) you know, once you get to that point, you're just like, you, you hold on to it for dear life. And that's what I find that I've been doing. And, you know, I, I try not to take anything for granted, Mm -hmm. but then a part of me is like, no, you got to relax, man, or else you're going to not have any more fun doing this thing that you've been given the, you know, opportunity to do. The takeaway I get from that then is just not to be too results oriented and enjoy the process. So what was the, um, you said, and you talked about making a living and you realize that this is now how I'm doing my (laughs) life. Um, was that turning point with the feature were you freelancing as a um, as a director for hire before the feature I was definitely I, I I've been I've been working solely as a director and writer since I guess 2015 okay yeah so you were a staff writer for uh or you were you worked for Amy Apollo's oh yeah smart I worked girls. for smart girls mm-hmm. so I I did I was in development for them I worked like I was on the other side of the yeah, table, yeah. which was really interesting. So I worked for them for a minute, but I was working for Legendary, the company that owned Smart Girls. I was just an assistant there for a while, yeah. um, which was great. Like I, I actually really loved. You know, you don't want to be an assistant, but I had a fortunate opportunity to really like the people that I worked for. And you learn a lot, and right? you learn a lot, and yeah. you meet a fuck ton of people. Mm-hmm. So like, I, you know. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason, but I do feel like that the more opportunities you, you know, present yourself with, you know, the you just throw a bunch of shit at the wall, something will stick kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, you know, I, a, I like, you know, I liked how I sort of got to where I am. <laughs> as, a, as a creative, though, that's a pretty rare thing for me to hear, that you don't believe that everything happens for a reason. Mm-mm. Okay, so why? Tell me about that. Why have you? Come why to don't that? I believe everything mm-hmm. happens for a reason? I think I'm just a cynic. Okay, I get that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you check out Becca's uh, Twitter, you'll gather that too. Yeah, I am yeah. like huge cynic. I, you know, atheist. Like mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I, I think that. And that transfers into your work. Yeah, Even in the, absolutely. The clip that I've seen of your film. Yeah. There's a whole conversation about. It's, this is available, so I can talk about it, right? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, you yeah. can watch it. It's like yeah. on Deadline or Yeah, something. yeah. It's on Deadline, and it's a clip about Joey's character mm-hmm. uh, saying that she might want to try going to church, and the mother is like, what, you want to go to church now, <laughs> yeah. really? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm guessing something like that came from your personal experience or yeah. the attitudes of that Well, scene. if we want to start talking about religion. Yeah. <laughs> um, Whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Let's start talking about how the world works. Um, I, I think, like, I didn't grow up with really anything, mm-hmm. like any sort of religion. My my dad was Catholic, my mom's Jewish, so I guess technically I'm Jewish. Okay. I went to a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs. Um, but uh, I wasn't really forced upon anything as a child. And, you know, the more, you know, the older I got and the more cynical I got, I, I think that my belief that I have no beliefs, <laughs> just sort of amplified as I grew up. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I just think that, like, it's another, you know, I, I don't miss that part. Like, okay. I don't feel like I missed out on something. And, you know, I, I still got to read a bunch of history and, yeah. I, you know, took a bunch of philosophy classes in college. So, like, I feel like I, I was at least exposed to, you know, enough 
enough that you have a that you have a worldview. Yes, I have a worldview. Yes, I have. Yeah, and so that scene that you were talking about with Andrea Savage, who plays the mother, she plays Shira. She, um, you know, she's Jewish in the movie. She's Mm -hmm. a a, and you know, there's there's a whole storyline about her, you know, Judaism. (laughs) But uh, I think she she's so great, Andrea, and she just killed this role, but. Um, I can, I can see how, like, offended, it, it didn't necessarily happen to me, but Andrea portrayed, I guess, a version of my mother who, you know, if I were to ask my mom, like, I want to start going to church, a part of her would probably be a little offended. Yeah. Um, just because, like, well, one, she was raised Jewish, so why didn't I choose, you know, that religion? And then two, you know... None of it matters, you know, in in our family. It was just, you know, it was a thing that they dreaded as children, you know, my mom and my dad. So they they felt that they were doing me a favor. So I think I translated that into the movie where, you know, them doing me a favor by not, like, dragging me to church every Sunday morning or temple, that, um, you know, it would be that, that my, you know, my taking of that was... Joey's character in the film when she decides she wants to do that you know it would offend mm-hmm. the parents mm-hmm. and and I guess that if that were to happen to me as a kid like I feel like a version of that probably would have occurred <laughs> so it's an example of like something in part inspired from your real life yes. but according to like a hypothetical yes it's totally hypothetical yeah. again like a lot of it's made up but a lot of it's true you know they're just nuggets of truth and a sea of lies (laughs) (laughs) so going back to your cynicism as being i would say maybe not the foundation of your point of view or your creative voice yes i would hope not that would be very sad yeah but uh, but in a way uh, i could color of it i think it's where the comedy comes from honestly i think that's kind of where my like darkness lingers in my cynicism and i find very dark and sad things like death funny and in a lot of my work your short film molly yeah it's about death (laughs) yeah and also dealing dealing with that grief almost in a humorous situation i think and i think that's what somber is about too in in a way so i i i really i love making people laugh and then having people immediately feel bad about what they were just laughing about like that, I feel Push like describes my humor. It's okay. like, oh my gosh, that's so funny, but is like, sh- I shouldn't be laughing at that. Like, why am I? Why do I think that this yeah. like, you know, funeral is so hilarious? It's supposed to be a sad thing, but you know, I think that that's generally what I like to do, and what, you know, what I try to accomplish with. What? Comedy. Sorry to cut you off, but what broader purpose is that connected to? As in, like, have you ever sort of sat down and be like, as a director, my purpose in this career or in life is um what is that so to push and pull and to make people feel a little bit uncomfortable or whatever with humor where do you think that sort of sits in your broader ethos as a filmmaker i think it sits pretty much on the surface um i i i don't necessarily want to pigeonhole myself in a way because I feel like especially with women in this in the industry right now, it's like, oh, okay, she made a young adult comedy, so I guess that's all she can do. So, like, or a dark comedy about funeral, you know, whatever it is. And 
you know, I might want to make a sci-fi one day yeah, or yeah. like I might, you know, a fantasy movie. Like I, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into thinking like, okay, I can only do very grounded dramedies, which I love doing by the way. So. And there's a huge market for that. <laughs> huge. I would yeah. hope so. I, yeah. I hope there's a huge market for it uh, because that would be great for me. But, um, I, I think that in anything that I would do, I, I, I think there has to be some sort of grounded element. And I feel that like, you know, in life and the things that we find to be sad and depressing, there is always like a comedic lining to it. It might not be right then in that point, but like, you know, a week later or a, so a can, year later. So you can condense that into a film. Yeah, if I can, like if I can condense, yeah, exactly. Thing, if that, if I can make someone sort of, you know, feel that way or nostalgic for a moment that, you know, they may have been really sad when their grandmother mm -hmm. died, but in this situation, these people aren't necessarily sad, I guess. It's a much more complicated thing that they're going through. Well, comedy um, is tragedy plus time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I, and, I, and I think I might just lean a little bit heavier on the tragedy part. Like, it's, you know, I, I, I love... I, I love making fun of sad things. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. I guess I guess my question stemmed from a desire to unpack um, your process for how and why you create. Right. So when you're sitting, and this comes from my perspective, that when I'm making content, I try to, and I'm only got into that space in the past year and a half, so I guess my version of things is still sort of evolving. But for someone such as yourself who's been doing it for, for a lot longer, um, do you, when you're sitting down to write or you're clarifying the drafting process or then you're going back to the edit and being like, wait, hold on. Do you ask yourself, wait, hold on. Yeah. What are we trying to do with this movie? Or what am I trying to do with this script? I think and a lot it... of it stems from like selfishness. Cause it's okay. like, would I want to watch this? Okay. All right. And I want to watch a lot of things. Like okay. you'll never see me make a horror film because I don't want to watch a horror film. I okay. don't like horror films. Um, not because I don't think that they can be done beautifully, but just because I am an immensely, I'm so easily manipulated by film. So when I go into a movie, if it's a horror film, I can't separate the fact that I'm in a movie theater watching a horror yeah, film. Right. Um, it's a horrible thing. So despite you being a cynic, you're also a huge empath then. <laughs> yes, yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm so empathetic yeah, and to a, to, fault, yeah, to, a, right. to a fault. And I think that that's why... So cynicism might be a defense mechanism. It's totally a defense yeah. mechanism. Okay. I understand I'm, that. I'm a thousand percent aware as well. yeah. uh, of my cynicism. Like, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. But I think when I sit down to write and when I sit down to, you know, or revise or whatever, every story in and of itself has, you know, a theme and a point and, you know, something that I'm trying to say. And it, you know, might be that point in my life that you know, the next thing that I'm writing is, you know, it's, it's a little bit older, but it's still about women and it's okay. a grounded comedy and dark and weird and crazy. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be good. But when I sat down, you know, to write that, I wasn't necessarily like, okay, this thing has to be different from the last thing for X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. I just, it's a different story. Two results oriented. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I have an idea and I'm like, okay, do I want to watch this? And then normally what happens is if I like think of an idea for like a project or a script and then I like sit on it for two weeks and like try not to think about it. But if it still keeps like, you know, seeping through into my brain, 
then I'm like, okay, maybe I should, like, just bullet point it, you okay. know? And then I'm like, okay, if I still like it, like, two weeks later, then I'm like, okay, maybe I should just tell, like, two people about this and, like, see what they think. And then it's a long process until I sit down and write, because I, once I write, I write relatively quickly. Okay. Um, but it's it, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, months have gone by before I actually sit down. And at that point, I'm like, okay, no, I would really like to make this, and I would really like to watch this for myself, which... You know, and I'm a pretty basic person, I think. So, like, I think if I would like something, probably a lot of people would you're, like you're it. You're your own demo. I feel like I have a pretty wide, like, spanning yeah. demographic. Uh-huh. I like a lot of things. So, uh, you know, I, I find a lot of things enjoyable. Okay. And, you know, there's so, so many people, you know, on Twitter and online just find all of the horrible things about stuff. Yeah. And, and it's really depressing yeah. because, like, all I do is, you know, I try to watch a million movies and TV shows. And, you know, I'm the type of person that if I start watching a show, even if it's crappy, I will watch it until it dies. Like, Pretty I'm yeah. I'm very committed to television shows. And uh, and I think, I, I, I think in general, yeah, I just, I want to make stuff that I find enjoyable. Because chances are, if I ever get the privilege to make it, I'm going to be spending years of my life doing it. Yeah. Um, it's a relationship. Yeah, it is. It's totally a relationship. So, like, yeah, that's the narcissistic, selfish version of answer of I wouldn't question. go so far. I mean, that's just, like, a good litmus test because you're actually being, like, well, if I was an audience member, would I enjoy this? Cool. So, therefore, I, you know, I should sort of make it a good litmus test mm-hmm. for whether something is going to serve an audience and entertain them. Um, so, going to your writing process, you mentioned how you let ideas percolate for a couple of months. Yeah. You f- maybe you think about them or you test them out in just in conversation with yeah, people. Yeah, I, I do so. all of that stuff. And it's like, you know, I'll get an idea. And, and it might know. just be from simple interest, being like, oh, I'd like to explore that in a film. Yeah, okay. no, totally. Like, I, you know, they come from wherever. You know, I would love... Just when you're on the treadmill or you're walking around. If or... there was, like, you know... Gosh, it's like, that question's so hard because it's like, where do you get your ideas? Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not... You know, I haven't made, like, ten movies that people have loved yet. Like, I have, you know, I I've, I've haven't, like, my career, I hope, is just starting and not ending. Um, it's just starting. <laughs> I hope to God it's just starting. But I really, I think that, like, in the, the long run, I just want to, you know, keep, whenever I get an idea, I, like, try to keep it to myself for a while, and then I think about it, and then maybe I'll tell some people, and... You know, it's just, if that idea can sustain in my brain, which is, like, always all over the place, and it's really hard for me to focus, like, I have horrible ADD, so if I totally go lose my train of thought, that is probably why. Oh, okay, no way. Wow, that's um, oh, yeah, okay. I have, you know, love behavioral medication. Okay. Like, I'm a right. big proponent of Adderall. It is the reason I write scripts. Oh, okay. All right, there's your <laughs> um, secret, guys. There is a secret. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am prescribed medicine. <laughs> um but but I think that you know once I get to that point where it's like okay I've sat on this idea for months maybe years like clearly there's clearly there's something to it clearly my mind won't you know trash it yeah so uh, I should probably you know consider you know writing this and sometimes it's just for yourself sometimes you're able to pitch it and someone else thinks the idea is good and 
I want to give you money for it, and that's always the hope. <laughs> so the the actual nuts and bolts of that process, do you have a notebook with you? Do you put it in your phone when you come up with it, and then do you then... No, I don't, and I think I kind of do it to a fault, maybe, where it's like whenever I have an idea, I purposefully don't write it down or put it... Like, if it's a new idea, mm-hmm. like if it's dialogue or something for some you know for a project that I'm currently writing or working on or like a cut idea like or you know for something that I've already shot like I'll write those down because Mm -hmm. those will go out my brain in a second but if it's like a fully new idea I think I don't write it down on purpose because if it wants to be made it'll stay in my Mm. brain and then I'll have to write it down at some point. That's a cool, uh, again, again, a personal litmus test. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm Interesting. Just constantly testing myself. Okay. So besides Adderall. Um, Adderall. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the process of you sitting down to write, are there any like morning habits or any rituals yeah. that you do that you found to be really helpful? I'm a very ritualistic person and I think it comes from stupid, like superstition. Okay. Um, uh, there's a belief. Yeah, yeah, I have a belief, I guess. I feel like, you know, that there's something weird about it. I don't mm-hmm. know. but and, and I think it stems from, like, once I started, you know, making money, honestly, I was like, oh, I'm doing something right, right this second. So this... I do that, so I captured that, and now I just do that, and it's it's been okay for me, so I wake up really early, and I roll out of bed, sometimes I don't even change out of my pajamas, like, sometimes I just, like, grab my bag, get into my car, I drive, like, a mile down the road to a coffee shop, and, like, starting at around 7.30, I'll start writing, Mm. I'll take an Adderall, and then I'll write pretty much from, like, 7.30 a.m. until mm, 1.00. Wow. And then I'll eat lunch. Um, non-stop. Non-stop. Writing, so if you're, say, do you go from treatment to outline to then script, or do you, like, go between the three or um, whatever? I, Are you yeah, writing down I, random monologues? Or? I don't. Sometimes I'll do, like, specific dialogue in, like, mm-hmm. a separate sheet, but for the most part, I'll, like, beat sheet it out, and okay. I'll write down, like, scenes and what scene would lead into the next. Yeah. And, but that's the most outlining I do because I'm a big fan of rewriting. Like, I just want to get a really crappy first draft yeah, out. So then you've got something to Just mold. so I have something to yeah. mess it's with. And half of, you know, and you start shaping it. Yeah. there's nine times out of ten, the first draft that I write barely resembles what happens, like, okay. to it in the process. But um, if I'm writing something new, I will a thousand percent try to outline it as little as possible and then my outlining process sort of just happens as I'm writing it and then once I get a first draft done I'll read it and I'll be like this is shit but I'll have I'll know why it's shit and then I can fix it and then it'll just like you know slowly but surely get better okay okay so do you after you've say finished that first draft that you think is shit Mm -hmm. um do you like print it out and make notes or you just go right I'm just going to focus on this scene and then I'll print it out and I'll read it Mm -hmm. and then sometimes I'll write notes down sometimes I'll print it out and then I'll be like why did I just waste all this paper like I'm just going to look online you know and you know just like fuck with it on on my computer (laughs) for another week um but my fiance is um he's a manager. He's okay. not my manager. He's a talent manager or a he's literary? He's a literary manager. Okay, very cool. So 
a lot of times I'll have him read like my shit first drafts yeah, and then right. he'll tell me why it's shit, which is really nice. Yeah, it's great. That um, it's that, really nice that, that I have free that. Consult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny because I argue with him over every point that he makes and nine times out of 10, he's like, he, he's right. And, and I, but it just, it's, it's the matter of like exhausting me. Like he yeah. just, he just makes me really tired. And like when I argue with him and then when he argues back, he will just like, he will keep going and I'll just be like, I'm tired. You're right. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's move on. And, uh, and then in the morning I'll be like, God damn it. He was right. Like he was, okay. he was really right. Like, um, but but he puts up with me, which is really nice. So why are his, <laughs> or how would you describe his notes, and why are they constructive? He's just, like, good with structure and, care and like, voice. He can just, you know, a lot of times he'll be like, this person is, like, a boring person. Like, they're very vanilla. They don't okay. sound like a human. Right. And, like, that's the they're number like one thing. Device, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like I see what purpose that they they are in the project but you need to like give them something to do <laughs> other than be this random plot device and um and i and i think that that's like the number one thing that i always like you know beat into my head is like voice voice like everyone needs to sound like their own individual person mm-hmm. um so that that's the number one thing that i usually don't do as well in the first draft okay it's just because i'm just writing like yeah. random dialogue and then you know you fine-tune the characters as you go okay um and then he also you know he'll tell me like what to cut like what you know and then this scene doesn't need to be here. This, like, I don't understand what the purpose of this was or, like, to, why don't you, you know, have this circle back with this? You know, it's all it's all just a matter of... He's very good with structure, so he'll tell me, you know, cut half of this, and then I will, and then I'll, you know, start from scratch and write it over. But I think, you know, if, if I cut something and then I miss it, I'll put it back you okay know, it's it's yeah, not yeah. totally dead yeah, right okay cool well it's good to know that um your the drafting process for you it's there's not like a uh there's not some like super secret exclusive no. thing it's it's an organic yeah and then you know you send it to producers and they're like change too. all of this right and you're like, <laughs> yeah. okay and then you yeah. do it again so um i know that you probably rehashed this story quite a few times but for the budding filmmaker out there listening how would you describe the process of you having finished this great draft of mm-hmm. Summer of 03 mm-hmm. and then the process of it getting, like, money attached to making okay. it to a film? Yeah, so that if was... You, give us, you can give no, us a short the, the short version is um, Alexandre Dumont, who's our producer, he has this company called Big Cat. He's amazing. He used to work at Imagine. And I met him on a general meeting at Imagine when he used to be there. And then... And the general meeting came from you having... I, literary rep? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ICM. Okay. And so they set me up on this general meeting. Alexander and I hit it off. You know, a couple weeks later, we got a drink, you know, not in office situations. And we were like, oh, no, like, we're going to be friends. Mm-hmm. And so I sent him the script a, a couple weeks after that. And um, he was like, I love this project. And I'm about to leave and start my own company. Um and I was like, great. So that happened. And he was like, I want this to be the first thing that we produce. And so I was like, okay, great. It's an indie. I was like, 
you know, we'll send this around for a year. Finally, someone will get attached. You know, it was, I was expecting it to be a much longer process than it was mm-hmm. because I just, I'm used to it. I've, yeah. I've written a bunch of indies that have not okay. been made. Right, right. Um, and, and then, like, we started sending it around to financiers and, and Tadmore, who's a production company and a financier who did, like, Swiss Army Man, they're amazing. I love them so much. Um, they hopped on board within, like, a couple of days. We flew to New York, and they were wow. like, we want to do this. And uh, then we started casting, like, a week later. Wow. <laughs> I did, like, a That's couple revisions like for them. Off. It was so... And then we were shooting... I think that meeting with them was in... It was April of last year. Mm-hmm. And then we started shooting in September. Wow. So that... Yeah. I can imagine, <laughs> obviously... I hope that that story out there to any aspiring directors isn't discouraging because no. I know from your background that that's, <laughs> that's a culmination of, like, it's like an overnight success, but it took years It took to get years, there. yeah. I mean, I've so, been out in LA for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, you said you've been living here for eight years. <laughs> yeah, eight years. And you years. were an assistant for many years before that. Oh, yeah, I was Making an short films and web series. Oh, yeah, I was just so, doing fun, like, side projects yeah. that I needed to do to stay to, sane. And to create and stay creative. Yeah. And yeah. So from that story, I gathered that obviously the general meeting was set up by your agents at ICM. Mm-hmm. So how did the agency representation as a director for you come about? I had had my manager forever. Like my, I'm, I'm, I've been with the same manager since I, almost since I moved out. I had a script that a friend of mine sent him. And Is that from college? Or? No, no, no. Just a friend of mine out in LA. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, was working with this manager who was at, they were then at a, a they've since moved companies, but okay. I'm at Echo Lake now. And, right. Um, and so he read it and really liked it. And it was like, it, it was, that was you like know, a spec script. Yeah. yeah. It was just, a, it was like a little rom-com that I wrote that I still want to make desperately. Okay. Um, That's awesome though that you've got this script that you've been working on for eight years and yeah. that's something you still want to work I on. I mean, like it's bad. Like I okay. will rewrite it, oh, but, okay. but it's still like, there's a special place in my heart. In it. Okay. Um, so I, I, I wrote the script, you know, on the side. My friend sent it to Amanda. I didn't expect anything to happen, but he really liked it and signed me based on that script. And and then I was just with management for a really long time. But after I, it wasn't until I started directing because I didn't think I wanted to direct like for the longest amount okay. of time. Um, and then I wrote Molly, the short that is about three girls that do Molly at a funeral. Um, and. Uh, that short then went to a bunch of film festivals and played at like a, it was like a, the LACMA, the museum, the mm. LA County Museum. Um, and uh, so it played there and a bunch of people went and my man, my now man, my now agent, uh, ICM was at that screening and she started like hounding my manager to like, wow. me. and I yeah. was so convinced I didn't want an agent for the longest time. Cause I was like, there's no point. I've just made one short film, but mm-hmm. I ended up signing with ICM and they've been great. And it's like the one back of, of that short film. Yeah. That's so that cool. short. Yeah. And so as like, a writer director, you signed with them or yes. Okay. So yeah, just like make short films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My advice to anyone. Okay. Yeah. And make it good and make it something that's make an expression short films. of you. Yeah, exactly. Make it truthful and good and something that you want to watch. Cause that's what Molly was to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I did that. It went to festivals. Like I, you know, I spent all of my money on festival submissions and it got into a bunch of really great ones and it got into that LACMA thing. And 
which it won, which was really cool. Oh, right. Was that a um, festival on its own? Or yeah, it... they do this, like, young director's night every year okay. at LACMA, which was, it's lovely. Like, Film Independent puts it on. Mm-hmm. And um, it was one of the best experiences ever because it was just all of these, you know, L.A.-based, like, sort of young up-and-coming directors who had made all these, like, really great shorts. And I didn't really know anything about it, and on a whim, I just submitted and you know, it was really great because they played it at the LACMA screen. Yeah. And it was a packed house and it was really fun. So okay. It was terrifying too because like I had to get up and say stuff in front of people. <laughs> Wait, so when was that? That was four or five years uh, ago? Oh, this was like 2014. Okay. I think. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, what are you able to tell us about your upcoming projects? Okay. Um, I've got, I'm pitching a show around town in the next couple of weeks with my very good friend Anna Camp. Just driving around. Um, Oh, very cool. How do you know Anna? I've known Anna for years. Um, She, friends of friends, and also, like, she was attached to a script that never got made early, Mm -hmm. early on in my career, which, you know, is fine. Um, (laughs) But we became very close based on the fact that she liked my writing, and then we just became friends. Right. So this is... We've pitched some stuff before that never, you know, went anywhere, and but we're we're going around again in hopes that this time someone will. And you're writing it together. Buy it. Um, I'm writing it, but okay. she's like heavily developing it with me. Is she involved as an actor. Yeah, like, so yeah, yeah. She's lead attached as the, okay. as the lead. So hopefully someone will buy it. Yeah. If not, you know, life goes it's on. It's just a part of the process. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm used to rejection. <laughs> and creative is. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then I'm working with Tad Moore and. Big Cat, the same companies that mm-hmm. did Summer, I'm working with them again to do another feature, hopefully, in, like, the fall, winter of this year. Um, right. And I can't say too much about it yet, but it's about groupies. Okay. That's all I can say. Okay. All right. <laughs> cool. Even from the t- what the what it's about, though, I gather that it's a continuity of you as an artist, which is really cool. Yeah, okay. it's fun. All right. <laughs> it's um, a fun one. The pitching process, I'm guessing that comes about and those opportunities come from your representation. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any experiences that you want to share that have been good learning lessons for you for the pitching process and how you can improve on it or... Just, like, do it a lot. That's sort okay. of my thing where I'm, I'm horrible at pitching, I think. Okay. I think. It's really nice having an actor there with you because they can save you mm-hmm. like and they're so used to performing all the time like with Anna like I've gone out with and her so and warm, she's so warm and, and lovely yeah. that I'm just like take it away man right um, <laughs> take it away yeah. <laughs> you know how long do they usually go for like half an hour or, yeah, yeah 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 you know you normally you're, you do a little pitch and that's like 10 to 15 minutes and then they ask questions okay um you know and there's small talk in the beginning which is always really awkward <laughs> But and no one, they don't really care. So it's like, why make the small talk? Let's just get deep. I'm quickly. like, hey guys, let's yeah. just do this. Let's get yeah. it over with. And I've gotten better at it over the years. I'm just, I get stage fright. I don't like performing, and I think pitching is a very performative thing. Like when I decided, like I want to be a writer. No one tells you that ninety percent of the job is you have to talk to people. You have to be an actor you, inherently. Yes, you yeah. do. And I'm so not an actor. Right. And directing has helped too because like you learn sort of how to command a room in a way even if you're yeah you know just talking to groups of people but like you just have to you know be able to clearly 
and concisely state what you want. But as far as pitching goes, you're telling a story. And I tell myself that. I'm just like, you're just telling a story. It's like you're in a group of people and you're just telling a story of this thing that happened to you. But it's much more detailed and you have to have all of the answers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, I've had another writer tell me that uh, in the pitching process, it's helpful uh, sometimes to be honest about not knowing the answer. Yes. Have you encountered that? Yes, and be like, yes. you know what? I actually don't know the answer to that. No, I get really combative, which okay. is probably bad because if they're like, <laughs> so like I've got, I've had pitches, I've had good pitches and I've had bad ones where not necessarily like I did a bad job, but like you can tell that the person in the room is trying to find holes within your story. Right. So like, they'll be like, oh, does the character ever get pregnant? And I'm like, yes, in season four. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but, like, I'm just pissed that they're asking me this question. <laughs> so um, I get really, like, honorary sometimes, like, okay. d- depending on the mood of the yeah, room. Yeah. Like, and I kind of like that. I want to watch this show. I want to watch a show about the pitching process. <laughs> yeah, where, you yeah. know, it's just, like, me Pitching by Becca. <laughs> executives who are asking me too many questions. No, I... I I kind of like it because when they're asking a lot of questions, that means, like, even if they don't buy it, they're interested enough to come up with these questions. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's fun to, like, have that, like, you know, and it's kind of fun if they argue with you about something because then you could be like, no, we've thought about this for Mm -hmm. a very long time. This is why it should be this way. Or, oh, no, like, that's a really great idea. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes they improve upon your project, which Mm -hmm. is nice. But sometimes they don't. So. Yeah, I've also heard the notes that uh, there's a note that can either make someone something worse, uh, something better, or something different. And the note about it making it different is that it's just different, so it's not yours, and therefore it's not really a helpful note. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, well, what if, you know, she's not a murderer? Like, and oh, you're like, but the that's the plot, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, and you're just like, or like, or what if, you know, she's like a single mom, like, I get that a lot, it's just like, no, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's yeah. like, and a lot of it is, you're spending, when you're coming up with your pitch, 90% of it is coming up with characters and who they are inherently and what they want out of life. And, and how audience is going to relate to and, that. And, uh, you know, when you spend a lot of time and then fall in love with the people that you like weirdly creative and mm. you have this weird god complex when someone's like no they should be like this and you're like fuck you no right. they shouldn't yeah. <laughs> like it's totally an ego thing it's yeah. totally an ego thing and you know of course you just gotta like sit there and smile <laughs> right okay so sit there and smile one yes. takeaway from the pitching process sit there and smile so you said that you're very much not an actor and you've learned that from the pitching process how has the experience then been communicating with actors as a director have you ever taken acting classes to learn how to be an actor and therefore transfer that over? I've never taken an acting class. I've audited a couple. Um, I've taken, in college, I took a a directing for actors class, which was really interesting because 90% of it was just the professor who's like an actor telling fun stories from like set of all the cool directors he's worked with. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to steal that shit. Um, But... I, uh, I think, I think I'm good with actors. Like, I, I, I've been told that I am from actors, so I, I, you know, Joey is lovely, and whenever we do interviews together, she talks about the fact that I'm 
good with actors, so I'm like, thank you, Joey. What I hope she, you're not just saying What has she said specifically? Like, why do you think... I think with her specifically because we... You know, she was playing, like, a weird version of me, and mm-hmm. we got very close on set, and and I'm still... You know, I think I'm seeing her later today, so cool. <laughs> like, I love her. <laughs> but uh, she, she said... And Joey, if you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong. She said that I was, I guess it was, I was empathetic towards them. And I, I knew, you know, there's, there's a lot of like sex in the movie. Okay. And, and, I, and at least for those scenes, I tried to be very like, I wanted to make the, her as comfortable as possible. You're always told as a director to not let your actor see the monitor, but in those situations, I wanted them to see it so right. they would know, like, this is what this looks like. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. It doesn't look weird. Like, you're mm-hmm. not going to see X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. on screen. So, like, that gave her, it's, like... You're showing her a lot of respect. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that, yeah. like, it's just, you know, you, you don't... I'm not a believer that you should treat your actors like they are your puppets. Like... That's a good night. Okay. <laughs> like, yep, and I know there are directors out there that yep, do that. Yeah. Um, and you know that you've heard horror stories about certain people, but I, you know, they are human beings and nine times out of 10, they're much more neurotic than you are. So like, I, I want them to, I, I feel like, especially when you're making comedies, like if your actors are happy and even if, even if it's a sad scene, like I, I think that if they feel comfortable around you and around set, they will then, like, give you more rather than, like, oh, no, I'm going to make you feel like shit so you'll feel like shit on screen. It's like, then they're just going to hate you afterwards. Mm-hmm. And when you have a fun scene to do tomorrow, like, it's not going to be mm-hmm. conducive to good vibes. vibes. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong, but I just... I'm so privileged that I get to go to work on a set and make movies and I I want like for most of the actors that I've worked with you know I've been very fortunate to work with some really wonderful people and I want to work with them again (laughs) so I want them to have an enjoyable experience and I want us all to have a good time and I don't want anyone to feel like bad about anything because at the end of the day we're all gonna have to do press together yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. um And, uh, and yeah, of course things get heated and depressing and dark and scary at times on set, but, like, if they know deep down that, like, you care about them, I think that, I think that that's the best relationship a director can have with an actor, because, like, we were so, it was so fun on set, we were all in Atlanta, no one knew anyone, but we would, like, close down restaurants after, you know, rap, because... We would just like want to keep hanging out with each other, That's like awesome. me and like the actors and some of the crew and like our DP. Like we would all like go out and and spend time together. That's what happens on set. Like too. we did escape rooms and stuff. Oh, like okay. it was, it was a really like the full it, corporate like it's, yeah. You know, it's called Summer of Three. We yeah, we we played it like a summer camp. That's it was very like cool. it was That's what like camp. Sets are like really, aren't they? Especially when you're on it location. It is. They are yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, and there's always like set romances, which yeah. is fun, and like you know we all get to talk about those, <laughs> and like it's great. Um. So with the casting process and finding your actors that you did work with, mm-hmm. um, why 
did you go the way that you went with your casting? Like when you were, I guess, basically when you were watching your auditions, the mm. actors that you ended up choosing, why did they stand out to you and why did you choose them? So with the main actor, so with Joey, um, I met with her. I didn't audition okay. her. I just met with her and I'd okay. seen her in Fargo and a million things and I just got like such a wonderful vibe from her. I was right. like, you are her. It's fine. Okay. Like, done. You like, was, here yeah. is your role. Okay. Um, and I did, I did the same thing with Jack. We, and Joey was actually there. She, we all like had lunch together. Okay. We were just like, you're a chill guy. Like, this will be good. <laughs> um, and then with Paul, Paul Shear, Paul actually like found me in the project. Like he'd heard about it somehow and someone like his someone told him that he was like too old or too young for the role and I don't know what happened, but anyway, like somehow Paul like found us and I was like, yes, I want to meet with him. And so we Skyped. I was already in Georgia and, uh, I was like, Oh no, he's great. And same thing with Andrea. I was already in Georgia and, mm. and they knew each other already. So that was right. really, it, it, it worked really well. Wow. And like, I'd seen Andrea in a million things. So I was like, you are the perfect Shira. Like this, okay. you know, so I, that like the, the main core family didn't have to audition. We were just, they were straight offers okay. and it was just me like getting a vibe. And that's also how it works with independent filmmaking. Yeah. Too, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. But with like the supporting roles and then, um, my friend, Aaron dark who plays hope. She's just a good friend of mine. And I was like, the part is yours if you want to come to Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> and she did. Thank God. Right. Um, but then with like Kelly and Steven, we went through so many auditions and, um, Kelly did this really great thing. This <laughs> her role has to give a blowjob to a flashlight in the to show it to movie. Tell Joey's character how it's done, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. She like teaches. She's like the teacher. Um, but so there's all these girls like on tape, like giving blowjobs, like fake blowjobs, like water bottles and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I hated watching those oh, auditions. Right, I was yeah. like, and some of them went like way like slutty and oh, like okay. like in like a like a really dark like uh, there's a dark video file on okay. my computer of right. just like all these women giving blowjobs to inanimate <laughs> objects and I'm just like oh no why did I do what did this? I do I'm so sorry to all of you and you know but Kelly like <laughs> the way she's and I was just a part of me was just not wanting to watch these auditions because they were so cringy and it wasn't supposed to be cringy. That moment was supposed to be funny. And right. Kelly made it funny. Like, okay. Kelly was just, like, happy as a clam, like, just holding court. Like, that was the vibe, like, with these girls in this tent. And um, and so I was like, this girl. And so she and she came... was probably, like, young. was she one of the very few actors that managed to make it funny? Yeah, there was yeah. no other people that really? made it funny. Wow. Everyone, it's... like, everyone went, like, in a very sexual way with okay. it. And I, and... When you, I, I think when you read that part on the page, she could be construed. She's a very like she's a, a sexual character, um, Emily, uh, but Kelly Lamore Wilson took it in a way that wasn't super sexual and just like a confident and mm. fun and like she was, she was a a woman who knew what she wanted rather than you know 
a sadness <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. And because I, I didn't want that character to be sad. Like, she, the whole point was to show, like, a sexually invigorated woman that, like, doesn't feel bad about the mm-hmm. fact that she's, like, a sexual person. And, um, and Kelly, Kelly nailed it. So that was, that was how we casted her. And then with March, with Steven, he came in. I did not want, like, there was no way in a million years that this movie was going to be a cast of all white people. I was like, okay. I was like, March is not a white person. Okay. And so I was like, I need to see every like diverse guy in this age range in Atlanta. And so we like got a bunch of auditions, but Steven had a Shakespearean background, weirdly. Right. So like he was in the Shakespeare play while we were shooting. And I was like, Let's see what the... And he's also 25. He looks like he's 10 years old and he's married. And I was just like, who is this guy? So he auditioned he and auditioned. he randomly went to go see the play that he was in. No, I saw the play he was in at, like while we were shooting. Oh, but okay. But I was like, he was doing this Shakespeare play. I was like, okay, that's interesting. He's like a theater guy. He doesn't hadn't been like on set very much. Okay. But he came in and like was just this like awkward little like muffin like I just loved him and you just like I immediately was just like oh my god like this kid I just want to hug him and that was like the vibe of March he was just this lovable how like, old's the character you know 18 oh, like okay, so yeah. Yeah. I was just, and then when I found out he's 25 and married and I, I was like whoa okay cool <laughs> like okay. this is crazy yeah. um uh, but Steven's wonderful and, and he and Kelly and Joey are still all good friends. Like he was just sleeping on my couch the other night. Like <laughs> Kelly's lovely. I, I just, I love, and they all got along so well. It was like, they were really friends and that was, that was nice. Like Kelly and Joey went to Steven's play too. Like yeah. it was, it was really cute. Again, so. Yeah. Film like summer camp. It was summer camp. It yeah. really was. I, I miss it talking about it right now. I miss set in general. I've been on set since. Well, you're going to be soon though, right? I Let's hope so. yeah. Let's hope. Well, so what are the plans with the film? Like, how can we like summer see of three? It? Yes. So it's gonna come out. I think September twenty first. Okay. I'm not totally sure if that is the official. Did you, so you sold day. it at South by? Yeah. So we sold it to this company called Blue Fox. They're brand new. They're okay. this distribution company, and they. So we're gonna get a limited theatrical release. Starting September 21st, definitely in New York and L.A. And then it'll, you know, expand if it does well. Hopefully it does. Um, If not, whatever. Things, life goes on. It's fine. But But watch the movie. Everyone who's listening to this, you're probably in Australia. But but then it'll go on VOD after its theatrical run and Netflix or something maybe. But, But if... You know, I will be tweeting, and Joey will be tweeting, and like I'll well, be tweeting. Everyone so will be tweeting to every, go see the movie. All the people, all the tweets, all, all the, the tweets, tweets. And, yeah. and those will be like the very few like uncynical tweets. I'll be like, please, yeah, God, right. go see this film. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Summer three out tentatively September 20th. I think it's it's going to be in right. September. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the 21st. Okay. That was discussed. Just follow us on Twitter and just, you'll find out yes. the updates. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, thank you so much, Becca. Thank you. Um, just to cap off our conversation, right now, I think I feel I need I want. Ooh, okay, okay. Um, I think that this went well. Great. Um, I feel... I feel like I should, like, take an Advil. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Obviously, the Adderall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. No, you sound like a like a tiny, tiny headache that like I'm gonna preemptively get rid of. Um, I feel I need I need lunch soon. That also could be why I have the small headache. Mm-hmm. Um, I want. Or did I do that already? No. Oh, I want lunch too, but Great. I guess. At least it's different from sunglasses. It is. I yeah. do still want sunglasses okay. though. We'll cut that off. It was literally like I was in my car before I came in here, like looking at sunglasses online. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, uh, we'll look up the Twitter then for which sunglasses you purchase or maybe. You yes, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try and like incorporate some sort of cynical joke to make it. Yes, 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 yes. Tweet worthy. Um, But thank you so much, Becca. (laughs) Thank you so much. Being a guest on my show. Thank you guys for listening. Look out for all the tweets and all the posts about the film. (laughs) And until next time.